This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Weekden Update, your weekly dose of everything Grizzlies, presented by the Grizzden Podcast, the fans' first sports network. I'm your host, Will Walker, and I'm joined every week by John Kraft. How's it going, John? It's going very well. Maybe that uh, 2024 pick swap might actually might actually come into uh, into relevance here. The Grizzlies are 13 and 23, three and one since the last Weekden Update. They're 13th in the West, still 25th in the NBA, but now four and a half games back from the 10 seed 30th in offense, despite going up almost a full point in rating and they're at 108.7 10th in defense though, that improved to 113.8 rating 25th overall in net rating at an, at a minus 5.1. We start every podcast with a who's up and who's down. John, what's your who's up? My, uh, it, it, and a week like this, you have a lot of different, um, have a lot of different. I, I was hilariously, actually uh had uh he who should not be named that starts with a z uh i like just with a question mark but uh he decided to not let that happen after tonight uh but when my who's up uh in reality uh my who's up is bane as a playmaker uh i he had he did not have like a shoot the ball uh shoot the cover off the ball type week with scoring though he has been extremely consistent for us but he has continued to rack up assists and including an eight assists and a 13 assist game against the Lakers. Uh, and, you know, I think 
a few weeks ago, we talked about his assist rate and some other things that were really looking great for him. The silver lining of the six and 19 without jaw. And that should, it, this week has really just shown, and obviously the highlight tonight uh, was the Bain alley-oop to Zaire um, off the pass from Jaron. Just a perfect pass. The kind of thing I would not have expected from Bain a year or two years ago. So that's my who's up, Bain's playmaking. That's awesome. Uh, my who's up is existential crises for all of the Grizzlies' enemies. And uh, this comes off of a win against, of course, the Lakers on Friday night. We just defeated the Suns about 30 minutes prior to this recording. And also right now, the Warriors just got beat by the Toronto Raptors, who, you know, dealt the Grizz a loss this week as well. But overall, this Raptors team is not impressive. The Warriors lost at home to dip below 500. They're at 17 and 19. And this is just, I mean, honestly, I'm drinking all these tears happily. It is in a, in a rough year for the Grizzlies. I just want to pull down as many of our uh, rivals as possible with us. Um, the only exception is the Pelicans are kind of on a hot streak right now, but let's be honest, we're they're not making any noise in the postseason. So it's just it's it's been a beautiful week with all the LeBron press conferences, just the money that the Phoenix Suns have spent for this year and how that could just collapse on them in the next couple of years. And then of course the Warriors just I mean bench guys linking you know, reports about their role. Kaminga, I mean, that was just absolutely at first. I I cannot remember another uh, less relevant player leaking about his frustration with minutes to Shams than uh, Kaminga. Yeah. So anyway, that's my who's up. It's just been a beautiful week for that. And of course, in conjunction with the Grizzlies dealing, you know, two of the blows yeah. that are well, contributing to this. You even threw in the Pelicans there. At least the fact that. Uh, of the, I think the Pelicans have only had three losses in the last like 13, 14 games, but at least two of those were to us. 100%. In very devastating fashion. So, yes. Uh, my who's down is every power forward and center on the roster besides Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, Bismack Biombo, ever since his, you know, first couple of weeks, has been a huge disappointment. Uh, even the things that he was marketed as, he hasn't been coming through. The, the turnovers, just the I, I can't count how many times he's gotten offensive foul for a moving screen. Tillman comes in, and we knew that Tillman was just not a high, uh, I guess you could say, field goal percentage at the rim type guy. But it's just been extra, extra tough for Tillman, and it's bad when you're, you know, you're biz is playing so poorly that you're calling for Tillman to maybe start, and then when he does get the opportunity especially like tonight against the Suns, just does not look great at all. I mean, I'm pretty sure he's made like two threes this whole season. It feels like, obviously, it's been a little bit more than that. But overall, just the front court rotation, not to mention Santi Aldama has quietly had a pretty rough up and down last month. Yes, he's had his moments. Like, he shot really well the other night, but who didn't? We'll get to that. Uh, but... It's just every we can't get anything done in the front court, and of course we've. It wouldn't be a, a Grizzlies podcast without mentioning the the Stephen Adams and Brandon Clark absences, but those are ju those just hurt extra extra bad uh, on nights like tonight when we can't get anything going down low besides Jaron, which it was enough, but on other nights it's not going to be that way. Yeah, my my who's down, and this is my. Uh... 
this is where I have to send out an apology uh, to you in that my who's down is Derek Rose. Uh, I actually said, I think I said the words, you are wrong to you this summer when you complained about the free agent signing in a very forceful manner. Um, and I couldn't be more wrong. Uh, I've gone to three home games where Derek Rose uh, started, uh, you know, didn't start the game, but but played in the first half and did not finish the game. Three home games uh, this year. Uh, he has been uh, a massive disappointment. I, I hope that he's great in the locker room, and maybe if Jaw comes out of this and is great, maybe we'll still look at being worth it. But especially on like a night like tonight when Jaw is out, the fact that we don't have you know, a legitimate point guard. We're not going to have probably somebody ever as good as Tyus, but uh, just a legitimate point guard to come in and give us um, some decent minutes at the point guard. It's just a brutal, just roster spot that we don't have, uh, basically. And it's it's been a pretty pretty sad. So that's my who's down, uh, Derek Rose. Yeah, it's just to add a little bit to that. It There are two things to me that make it just really difficult to have to deal with. And number one is the fact that we signed it for two guaranteed years. So it's not just, it, obviously it's not working out this year, but it's just when we're going to be in the tax all, in all likelihood next year, or we're having to cut salary to try to stay out of the tax. And then that his salary, that little bit is a problem. Like it could very well be that way. And then secondly, he's just not a shooter. And if you're going to play on this Grizzlies team and contribute, you have to shoot because we have too many other core guys where that's not their primary skill and they do a lot of other things. And in basketball, there's a lot of other things that are important, but I think it's really, I mean, if you've watched the Grizzlies at all this season, you know, their number one problem is shooting and he does not solve that problem. And so it's just salt in the wound there. No, for sure. He doesn't really solve our turnover problem either that we've had a little bit more of this year uh, yep. with the absence of Tyus. So it's, it's been just all right. a bad side. Let's start with the last two games tonight. Obviously, playing against the Phoenix Suns, John Morant was questionable with a right shoulder injury. And right before the game, that's when Taylor Jenkins broke the news that he was not going to be suiting up. He gets to the bench, and they show him on TV in a sling. Kraft, how worried should we be about John Morant in a <laughs> sling? Well, the, the funny part is, Jaha... Ja likes to be a little dramatic when it comes to injuries. I have a feeling uh, possibly somebody told him, hey, this is a, this, you know, let's just protect the shoulder by wearing a sling. That's what I hope. Um, I mean, the thought that he, it did seem like, like there was legitimate, you know, I mean, reports, who knows? It, they did say he tried to, to warm up some. He tried to do some stuff. So the hope is maybe he can play through it against the Mavs. But I will say that, you know, I'm now sort of looking and thinking, uh, we could potentially be playing the Mavs without him. I, I think I'd be surprised if he misses more than one more game. Uh, also just surprised that uh, we, there isn't sort of a play. I'm sure maybe some Twitter detectives will get on the, the case, but there's not really a play I remember uh, where I'm like, oh, he might have hurt his shoulder there. That seems sort of obvious that sometimes happens uh, with other players. So I am a little nervous. Uh, just seeing the sling was weird. He obviously, and, you know, at the same time, he was still fun on the sidelines, but you could tell there was a little bit of, um, he just wasn't his normal self. He was being definitely, I think, protecting that shoulder. Uh, the, a couple of times they showed close-ups of him during the game. He was actually like rubbing it. So I am a little nervous and, and it does make me feel like there's a, a good possibility he might miss the Mavs game, honestly. 
Yeah, I agree. It's I think it will probably linger for another game, but I hope that overall it's precautionary. My mind did jump to the um, the player participation policy. Granted, this was not. It's not like this was a national televised game, so I don't think it would really come into play. But we did see our first fine for that against the Brooklyn Nets. Granted, theirs was a much more egregious than this would have been. But uh, and not to say too that John Morant does not have a legitimate injury. But I thought it would be pretty hilarious gamesmanship if the Grizzlies just you know brought the sling along, just in case you know they have to sell it on TV to show that their star player is actually hurt and he's not just being rested. Yeah, that's Uh, true. That's true. That could be the case. uh, I would hope that to be the case. Then that means he's probably playing against the Mavs. Yeah, I I certainly hope so. What was your biggest takeaway from this game? Uh, So the game, uh, the game tonight, uh, I mean, for me, that, uh, that the magic of the Lakers win, which I know we'll talk about, uh, that it carried over. Um, that I feel like they're, you know, with shooting, a lot of it can be confidence. Uh, there was seemed to be a little more confidence in us shooting. Uh, you know, there was not reluctance, even from the guys that kind of don't want shooting that much. There seemed to be very little reluctance to shoot. Uh, and so I like that. I like that. I felt like we kind of still had our swagger. I think that was my, my biggest sadness was when jaw got sick, that it felt like we went back to six and 19 Grizzlies. I know that obviously the opponents were very, very good. We were playing some top top teams but uh it just felt like we kind of were like oh we're not going to win without jaw and, and that just hasn't been the attitude we played with uh the last two years and so it was good to see us carry over that swagger from the lakers win uh to play tonight and just to you know to be down 11 uh going in the fourth quarter and then just immediately go on a run when we get back so that was uh that was huge for us as well i just i like the attitude shift that we've had it seems like uh uh, we are, we're, I'm, I'm, we're not there yet, but I'm getting those, you know, 2022, 2020, uh, early 2023 vibes um, from the Grizzlies. And that's what I like to see. I thought on a night where you're playing a weak defensive team, Jaron Jackson Jr. took it upon himself to try to punish his mismatch down low, specifically against Yusuf Nurkic, uh, especially late when he had a huge bucket to put the Grizzlies up, I believe it was five at that point in time. More importantly, 10 rebounds, and you combine that with our, honestly, the the MVP uh, of this game was Vince Williams. 19 points, three of four from three, but nine rebounds. Extremely important rebounds. And I don't know in the stat sheet if they count, you know, tap outs, but how many, how many, Second extra possessions did we have? Second and third possessions right. late when we would miss another three, probably from Zaire Williams or someone else. And then Vince Williams would just run in there and tap it out, and it would hit Bain or Jaron or somebody out there who could actually shoot and, and finish. Yes. And he was everywhere tonight, just everywhere on the everywhere. defensive end. Also, two. deflections, blocks. Yes. Hundred um, percent, amazing. Yeah, so just like nineteen rebounds between he and Jaron, combined with the nineteen points, were just massive off the bench, especially on a night when you have Santi, who's one for seven from three, two eleven overall. I already talked about the other front court guys. I mean, who's to say you couldn't start Vince in a small ball lineup no, and I, him actually use his rebounding at the four to make a difference? I mean, it's something we have to consider at this point no, in our I closing lineup. Have to consider and. 
And honestly, I mean, that's I think I think the worrisome is is the Jaron foul trouble if he's guarding like with a Nurkic. I mean, unfortunately, you know, two of Jaron's fouls weren't on were just dumb dumb fouls that he he made on reaches. If he just played straight up, he wouldn't have gotten them. But that's the only issue is that you're worried Jaron might pick up early foul trouble. But I actually think that's our best lineup. I hope I look forward to seeing that close a lot. Um, you know, with with Jaw, Bain, Marcus Smart, Vince, and Jaron, because that's I mean, that's you you have two defensive player of the year candidates, and then Vince, who I think is shown that he's every bit uh, an amazing perimeter defender. So you have three plus defenders, and honestly, I think Bain is is a slightly above average defender as well. And so you have four excellent defenders out there, and and the five work together. It's really just about um, you know, can Jaron play big, um, and then can the guards you know do some rebounding? So. So I, I, I like it. I, I hope we close with that lineup a lot. Any other takeaways from this game before we move to the Lakers? Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, the Luke Kennard situation, I know Ty wanted us to mention Luke a little bit. You know, again, it's one of those things I actually did. He, did, he gave us some good buckets today, kind of kept us in it when we were struggling a little bit offensively. But, you know, it does it, – it, it, it still feels that way. If he's not hitting threes, if he's not being very offensively aggressive – um, it's a real struggle. I mean, I know in some ways, it, at least it helps in that he's going to always be guarded. So he does space the floor even when he's not getting attempts up. But uh, but again, it just it's, it's another game. We've had several games in a row where he just has not made that big impact. And so I'm looking for him to make some impact uh, because I do think that we're getting in that place where he's a perfect uh, contract to trade. And so we're going to be looking at that. And, and for me, you know, there's a part of me that didn't want to trade him, you know, depending on how the season went, but it seems like I'm leaning more and more that than maybe getting somebody, you know, like a Vince, just a wing who can give us some defense and then maybe give us some three, some, uh, even if it's not obviously a league leading a three point percentage. So who knows? I mean, that's, but, but another kind of like just semi disappointing game uh, from Kennard where he really didn't get many second half minutes at all. And then Aldama, like you already mentioned, just, you know, we need Aldama. I mean, every single three he took was wide open too. Like we, he just, he really needs to be able to hit some of those uh, open shots for us. Um, you know, because it just, it's really helpful. We just need those guys to hit shots. Yeah. So, and but, you know, that was, those are the main things just, you know, that we brought it. I really liked, I liked seeing, you know, Marcus Smart did not hit uh, whatever eight threes, uh, but he was, he continued to be a very good offensive player. You know, I mean, he's still, you know, it's it's getting used to sometimes his turnovers, but of course, obviously, he makes defensive plays to make up for that, like he did at the end of the game. Uh, but I, I like seeing like I I felt more and more like that kind of blip he had early in this week, late last week, was more about the splinter. It seems like uh, in his hand that that offensively his games come back a little bit more, where he's making plays, uh, being able to get in, you know, get inside, get to the free throw line, and then hit hit threes, especially timely threes. It seems like when you need one, which is what we talked about, that he his three percentage in the playoffs is actually really good. Uh, that when you need timely shots, he makes them. Yeah, agreed. And also, he does have some frustrating moments. Some, I mean, tonight when he had, it was an out of timeout, I believe, with like four minutes left, and he just passed it out of bounds uh, to where he thought Bain was going to be, and Bain cut the other way. It was just like little things like that, but then he immediately turns around and has a steal to just, you know, one of the clinching plays of tonight. So it's just the Marcus Smart experience. And if you really need a shot late in the shot clock, he's going to be able to get you that. 
Like I feel more comfortable with Marcus Smart creating a shot like that than I used to. Let let's say Tyus. Uh, granted, they have different strengths and weaknesses, but at least for that, he's he's a little bit better in my opinion. Uh, Lakers game. I mean, when you shoot forty five threes and you're hitting fifty one percent, it's going to be really hard to beat you. Uh, one hundred and twenty seven to thirteen was the final. We outscored the Lakers 33 to 19 in the fourth quarter after falling behind 38 to 29 in the first quarter. And it was just to me at 9 p.m. So those who stayed up were, were, you know, it was a treat for sure. But this was one of the most fun games of the entire season coming off of one of the most frustrating losses against Toronto. What'd you make of the Lakers game? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing, uh, you know, that I think all of us after the Raptors game was, you know, is is this Raptors game going to be the game we look at and say, hey, it woke us up. Um, you know, Jenkins comes out and says, I was flat, kind of took it, took, blamed himself. All the players came out and said, no, it's not Jenkins' fault. He's trying to take the blame. We played bad. Um, obviously, you know, it shows we missed Vince Williams um, in that Raptors game. But then, so I think for all of us, we were just like, the last two times you've gone to LA, you've gotten blown out. Um, they really need this game, but you really need this game. Are you going to come out and play hard? You know, are we going to get blown off the floor like we have uh, against some other, you know, Western Conference playoff type teams? You know, or are we going to have some pride? Are we going to get any swagger back? And boy, did we! Um, you know, and that was by far. I mean, it was like it was the regression to the mean game of all regression, the means, and and it was especially sweet after the Lakers went crazy after the after the first quarter and you're sitting there thinking LeBron went four for four from three they hit four three they went four for I think 30 in their previous game and then they had like seven or eight threes in the first quarter and you're just like what is going on is this our curse that the Lakers are just gonna always overshoot when they play us but then it finally the regression of the mean that we've been waiting for I feel like two seasons happened and um and we hit our shots they didn't uh, hit their shots and the Lakers uh, the Lakers fans were leaving early uh, it was it, it was amazing and obviously that was uh, the that was the game that shut up all the Marcus Smart doubters for sure <laughs> he came out uh, big time uh, you know uh, can't remember last time I mean I guess last year when Kennard hit like 10 threes in a game uh, but and what's crazy is I mean what the even crazier uh, thing about it is we hit we shot 51 percent from three hit 23 threes and Luke Kennard did not score a point. Uh, I would have never thought that, uh, that, that if we had you hit that many threes, uh, Luke Kennard goes over, uh, is, is pretty crazy. But honestly, I mean, everybody who knows me knows, uh, there is no team in sports, you know, NFL, college football, baseball that I hate more than the Lakers. And so anytime that we beat the Lakers, especially beat them in LA, uh, especially when, you know, they're fighting, uh, LeBron's, saying he sucks so bad that he can't even give Ricky Rubio a shout out. Uh, when, when a Spanish reporter asked him for one, uh, it was beautiful. I, I can't, you know, I mean, I could keep talking. Uh, I literally got like three hours of sleep uh, Friday night. I was so excited. I could not uh, get down. I actually was so excited that I ended up fast forwarding and watching the ESPN feed um, over again, at least the second half of it, just to see what they were saying. Um, and it was really fun to watch it again and just see how we fought. Uh, I just, I mean, that was Grizzlies basketball. That's what we, that's why we love this team. Uh, that's, I think, why we fell in love with the team two years ago. That swagger, the talk, uh, the never giving up. And, and it was great. 
your core four scored 105 of the 127 points, and that's just what I love to see. Obviously, we're not going to expect that out of Marcus Smart every night, but what it showed me is that he's ready to step up in big game moments, and that's a new identity for this Grizzlies team. We used to see a guy in Dylan Brooks who also stepped up in a lot of ways for big moments, but sometimes that you know got away from him on the offensive end. And you see a guy like Marcus Smart who just obviously makes all the plays defensively you need, but when he's hot like that, we're going to be extremely difficult to beat. Not only that, but Jaron Jackson going five for six, Desmond Bain going five for eight. And uh, I would like to also point out that Ja had a weird week because I didn't particularly think he played well against the Spurs. He had the highlight, which I think caused everybody else to forget about the poor shooting. He took nine threes against the Spurs, hit three of them, took six against the Raptors, took seven against LA, and of course he didn't play tonight. That is one area to watch for me because... Ja, I believe, really wants to make the other team pay for going under under screens. However, he is talented and athletic enough where he does not need to do that. And I think after a certain point, like I don't want to see Ja take more than four in a game. Honestly, one per quarter is plenty for me. And if he hits one out of four, it's not going to kill you because he's not taking multiple. And of course, when he misses two, it leads to runouts. It's We've talked at ad nauseum about how poor shooting has led to a more difficult pl- style of play for the Grizzlies in a lot of different respects, turnovers and poor shooting. Um, and so that's just one thing to monitor. In all of the, the fun that was the Lakers game, Ja went 7 for 17, and I thought they made a point to shut him off, and luckily some other guys stepped up. But... Something to watch moving forward is job. No, for sure. I think that's, you know, and that, you know, and that kind of with your talk about what they were doing with jaw tonight. I mean, there is this wonder of just if he's just sort of beat up um, and he's been settling for threes, just not wanting to get into lane as much. I know he's been frustrated with the lack of foul calls. I mean, he got hammered at the end of that Lakers game and they didn't call it. Uh, so I don't know about that. But I will say, and I meant to say it earlier, you know, you you and I, I think, both called out Jaron, especially in the last uh, weekend episode, uh, that, like, AD has had his number. He has kind of looked weak. And, man, he there's I, I don't think there's anything more we could have asked of him in that game. He he attacked AD. He stood up. He went, you know, he, he even, you know, kind of got dunked on a couple times, I think, but went after it. Um, was was grabbing rebounds, uh, was being super aggressive, was not worried about getting his shot blocked or getting embarrassed, but just kept going. Uh, he just was relentless. Uh, he did it again tonight, but but I just love seeing that against the Lakers, a team that you know he seemed to be mentally uh, just sideways against uh, the last few times. So that was really exciting to see him come out with that requisite energy, for sure. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas.
Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. John, we have referenced four factors on this podcast a few times, and we've gotten a few questions about what exactly that means when we talk about the four factors. Could you explain to our audience what that means? Yeah, let me be nerdy for a minute. I've gotten some questions. Sometimes we throw out certain phrases, and I just wanted to kind of take a couple minutes and quickly explain those. Um, because obviously, we, we, we start every uh, Grisden talking about offensive and defensive efficiency, you know, and that net rating, basically just how good you are without pace being a factor. Because oftentimes, you know, the, the, the kind of the errors that have made, you know, in the past, like for instance, the seven seconds or less Suns team of Steve Nash, they scored all these points. And then everybody was saying, but they're not going to be able to win because they can't play defense. Well, but the only reason they, people were scoring a lot against them was because of how quickly they were playing. And so trying to think through ways to understand those sorts of things like efficiency, offensive, defensive efficiency without, you know, do it by possessions rather than do it just by the scoreboard. Uh, and so that's sort of, in, in a sense, when you want to unpack it even more and think, okay, why is the team good offensively? Why are they good defensively? Um, what's happened is kind of analytics nerds. I won't get into the whole history and the names and stuff, but basically they developed these four factors and we refer to them a lot. And basically I'm going to try to be as super basic as possible to break it down for y'all. But the first one is basically shooting, which seems very obvious. You know, do you put the ball in the basket on offense? Do you keep the other team from putting the ball in the basket um, when you're on defense? And this is what, and the way they measure this is a thing called effective field goal percentage, something that you, I know, Will, you talk about a lot. And that effective field goal percentage, basically the only thing that's different about it is it basically, you know, says how well you shoot by also taking into account that some of the shots count more than others. In other words, when you take a three, um, it's worth, you know, three points if you make it. When you take a two, it's worth two points. And so they, they add that little extra bit on there. And so basically if you're shooting 50%, in an effective field goal, it, that means you could still be making only a third of your threes, basically sort of, you know, doing very basic math here, but basically it takes into account what shots you're getting. And when you score, is it a three or is it a two? 
Um, and that's, you know, and if a team has a really high effective field goal percentage, that is like the most important thing. When you look at teams that are good, if they have a high effective field goal percentage, or if they have, if they defend well and keep the other team, that is a major factor for winning. The second one is just taking care of the ball because, you know, you cannot score if you don't shoot and you can't keep a team from scoring if you don't allow them to shoot uh, by turning them over. And so, you know, turnovers often also lead to very good shots as you move from, uh, you know, from defense to offense, you get a lot of layups, which are an extremely efficient way to score. So turning the ball over is a big deal. So that's the second thing. Do you take care of the ball? Do you get the other team to turn it over? Uh, and that's turnover percentage, uh, which people, you know, which, which is basically just saying how many times you turn a team over. Uh, per possession. Then you have rebounding because this is your ability to generate more shots than the other team. So again, it all goes back to shooting, but if you can take a lot of shots, it doesn't matter if you shoot a high percentage. If you get way more shots than the other team, and Grizz fans will know this is a thing that we have taken advantage of a lot. Uh, unfortunately, not as much this year, but in the past, both with uh, the core four grit and grind teams as well as the present team uh, of, of having way more possessions than the other team because of rebounding. And uh, so this is measured by offensive rebounding percentage, basically how many offensive rebounds you get from the rebounds available. And that's, of course, a big deal, the rebounds available, because oftentimes people just say, uh, and this is a big error that I think people make all the time. They're just like, oh, we got 40 rebounds. Uh, they got 30 rebounds. We out rebound them by 10. Well, it, it might not matter because, you know, it's easier to get a defensive rebound. And so if a team makes a lot of shots, uh, you might not be able to get a lot of defensive rebounds, but that doesn't mean you necessarily did a bad job rebounding if you got almost all the shots that did actually miss. So that's why they they go rebounding percentage and just a set of instead of just pure rebounds. And then finally, uh, it's free throw rates, which is a thing we talk about a lot, uh, which is how often you get to the free throw line, and then not just how often, but then how often you make it once you're there. You know, so basically free throws made per like field goal attempted. Um, and so they do that, you know, to basically say how often do you get the free throw line? Again, trying to be more accurate with taking like pace away and things like that. And free throws are extremely important because it's, you know, I mean, I guess a dunk could be seen as easier, but free throws are you're literally standing there with nobody guarding you, getting to shoot two with the clock not running. And so if you're a really good, have a really good free throw rate, that is a big deal um, because it's like basically the easiest way to score. And obviously if you give up a lot of free throws, you it's hard to be a really good defensive team. And then we can get into like the more free throws you take, uh, you have a higher winner percentage, you get teams in the bonus more, which tends to make them guard you uh, a little less closely. So it's just, it really compounds in that way. So these are the four factors we talk about. Um, and so when we look at things like why the Grizzlies, other than these last two games are really bad at offense, why are we ranked 30th in offense? Uh, you see that it helps to explain why, because we shoot really poorly um, without Steven Adams. We often have not rebounded very well um, without Tyus. And uh, honestly, without jaw, we have tended to turn the ball over a little bit more. And obviously we've talked about our free throws issues, though. I think that's starting to improve, which is a good thing with jaw and Jaron both getting the free throw line a lot. Um, anything to add to that? That's kind of my quick little spiel. So when we throw out free throw rate, often you know, rebounding percentage, turnover rate, these are these are the phrases we're talking about. We're talking about these four things: shooting, uh, turning the ball over, rebounds, and free throws. Yeah, and I would say that part of the origination of these four and how people identified these is they were trying to find what are what are the most the, the most simplified versions of stats that we can pull. 
that directly correlate to winning. And that's what we're looking for is like, what are the, what are the parts of the game that impact winning? And right now in those four areas, the Grizzlies are 29th in effective field goal percentage, 24th in turnover percentage, 22nd in offensive rebounding percentage and 26th in free throw rate. And those are all offensive on defense. You know, we're fifth in turnovers that we cause. And so like, that's the strongest area by far. Uh, We're in the top half of the league of the uh, field goal percentage that we give up, meaning we're, we're, we're better than a lot of other teams in that area. Uh, But overall you look at last year and you see we're in the top five in offensive rebound percentage and turnover percentage on offense. And so you can be, you don't have to be elite in all four in order to win. Like very rarely are teams super strong because you look at the personnel and you can only prioritize because oftentimes if you're prioritizing effective field goal percentage, it means your offensive rebounding percentage is probably not going to be amazing uh, because you're going to probably have like a a stretch center who's going to be out at the three point line, not getting rebounds. Grizzlies took care of the ball and offense rebounded but they were 19th in effective field goal percentage last year and so when we lost it was usually because we didn't shoot very well even though we got a bunch of extra possessions and so it just really helps to uh, validate what our eyes are seeing yeah I mean I think yeah I mean for sure I mean that's you know and that's what we'd look at you know you would look at oh man we couldn't hit a three but we still won the game and what you would look at you would see that man we had 23 more field goal attempts than the other team because we would turn them over before they could get a shot off or um, we would, we would miss a shot, but get the rebound and miss a shot. And honestly, you know, you look at the, the game tonight with the Suns. what we were talking about is that we would miss shots. <laughs> People like Zaire and Santi Aldama would miss shots, but then Vince Williams would get in there, tap it back out. And so you had, you know, that great sequence at the end of the Suns game where, <coughs> where Vince Williams misses um, gets his own rebound. Zaire misses. Jaron misses, and then we tap it back out to to Bain for a wide open three. Well, that was you know we basically got three to four field goal attempts that one possession, and that's how you know that that's how we really have won games. And that's why if you look at the you know last year and the year before that, whenever we shot well, we beat teams by 20, 30 points. But even you see with the Lakers and and tonight we shot well and we were still struggling. Because we're not really we with the way our roster make up and just the way we've been playing right now, we're still not elite in any of these categories, which is which is a concern. You know, despite we're excited, we are seven and four since Jaw came back. I think we are getting excited. Honestly, our defense has been incredible. Our defense is great. You know, it's it's a top ten defense, uh, but we're gonna have to get. We need to see that offense get closer and closer to league average, and it's gonna be interesting with our roster how we do that, thinking through these four factors. Um, and improving them. And like you said, tonight, uh, like, you know, the last two games, we've shot it better. And and especially tonight, I think we shot it well, but then we also uh, won the possession battle by getting a lot of rebounds and uh, and not turning it over quite as much. Now, although we still were struggling with that a good amount. Yeah, definitely. Uh, just to wrap up this News and Notes segment, I would say in regards to the Raptors and Spurs game, obviously we had a great, Highlight from the Spurs. I mean, I was in person for both of those games. It was crazy to see Wimby and the way that he protected the paint. It the hype is real on defense. I they are a a bad bad team overall. I was so unimpressed with their roster. We decided to shut down Devin Vassell because he's literally the only other perimeter guy they have. Trey Jones 
didn't shoot very well, though he is their only pure point guard. I'm surprised they don't play him a bit more. But you just go down the list of their guys, and they did have a couple of injuries in the front court, and so Wimby was having to carry the load there. He is all they have, and it makes sense to me that they've only won a handful of games overall. Uh, I would be very disappointed right now if I'm a Spurs fan because of the lack of investment in more vets to maybe accelerate this timeline that you have right now. I mean, the, the work starts now for the Spurs. And so we were not, pl- we were playing like a high school team in the first half, but finally we got it going. Desmond Bain was just about the only one who was playing well in the Spurs game. But then we had some other guys step up in the second half, got the win at home. Then back to back, the Raptors are a very winnable team. They had just had a trade, had brand new guys that they were bolting into the lineup. They have been starved for shooting. Emmanuel quickly can shoot and he, that's what he did against us that night. We cannot stop him. They got offensive rebounds. Speaking of, uh, they ran. It was just the fast break points were absurd. Darko coached a great game, and we just came out flat overall. And, you know, Ja was trying to force it from three again, and we had to tinker with lineups. And I think that this was this was a huge low point going into a three-game road trip. And the reason why we focused on the Suns and Lakers games to start is because, number one, they were the most recent. But number two, I really do feel like in this one week, we went from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs because I feel like we salvaged something that could have very well fallen off, especially with a game without John Morant. And so, I mean, I feel like we come on this podcast every week to say <laughs> that the season might be done or the season might be on. And this is yeah. one of those where we got both in one. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, and, and you know, and coming off the Kings loss, which is really, really discouraging. I mean, it's good to see a, a similar type profile team of the Suns team, which is just a lot of jump shooters, uh, very offensively minded uh, for us to come out and get this win gives me hope, you know, that that we figured some things out. Uh, but that Raptors loss was tr- I mean, it's it was a tough loss because we only lost by five and we played terrible. And that's usually shows you that like that's just like our roster was a better we are a better roster than the Raptors roster. And so it's really disappointing to lose a game. And it's still it's just it's so frustrating for us to be good on the road and be so terrible at home this year. I mean, that's one of my hopes uh, as we get more home games the rest of this month that we actually start to play, you know, we've dominated home the last two years and actually the struggles have happened more on the road. So it's crazy that we're like these road warriors this year. Um, and then just really bad, really, really bad at home. It's weird. It's just, I don't know what that's about, but, uh, it's really strange. So I'm hopefully that happens, but yeah, it was in, and, and it was good. I will say, you know, with right now we were talking about earlier, the warriors, the Suns, uh, all these teams with like, you know, things, reports coming out to Woj or Shams, uh, some coaches, and honestly, good coaches, I think, uh, that might be in jeopardy of losing their jobs. Uh, I actually, you know, we've talked, we had a long talk last time about Jenkins, and we were, you know, and I think the Raptors game was another frustrating, seems like he can't make his mind up, uh, seems like he's tinkering too much. I actually thought tonight the Suns game was a perfect, you know, not that we know anything, but it just felt like when sort of collective uh, collectively we're sitting here thinking, saying, you know, it's probably time to take this guy out, probably time to put this guy in. A lot of those moves happened. We had talked at halftime. Maybe we should go small. We did. I feel like Jenkins is getting a little better um, uh, handle of his roster. I think he's starting to figure things some out. Uh, but it, but what was really nice for me to see, honestly, and this is should temper 
the Jenkins frustration is our players love Jenkins. I mean, that to a man, I mean, they come out, they defend him, they love him, they're excited about him. Um, honestly, I mean, you saw how much they liked him deciding to guard uh, Terry Prince out on the floor. Uh, somehow Jenkins did not get tossed, uh, but which, which was a moment we didn't even talk about, which was hilarious. Uh, you know, since Jenkins was known as the holdback guy, uh, going back to his Bucks days, but he uh, he he ran out of the court. Uh, but you know, I mean, that just the players have gone out of their way to talk about how much they like Jenkins. Uh, when you have you know these three or four other teams that are leaking to the media, how frustrated they are with the coaching situation. So I think that was really nice to see as well. Absolutely, just defending his guys. I think I think he and Jaron really do have have this bond. I feel like anytime Jaron has a microphone in front of him, he's always shouting out Jenkins and is his biggest defender. And that's important. I mean, you have a guy like Jaron who is the longest tenured Grizzly, I believe at this point, and is a captain in that locker room. And it's important. I think that's a, a key component to team success is the collaboration and coaches and players being on the same page, even when fans get frustrated. Like Jenkins has not had a perfect season by any means and could have done some things that we've seen as, you know, we're not coaches, but there are certain things that just don't make sense that have happened so far this season. And one of my calls to him was to shorten the rotation. And he did that in a way tonight. I mean, there were some guys that played a few minutes here and there, but overall I felt like he tried to find the formula that worked. It did. We won. And we're we're just moving forward. And that's what he's doing is every game, even though we don't see too much adjustment, we did tonight see a different starting lineup. He had to tinker with it with the jaw injury. So he's doing stuff, but overall, like you said, it's the attitude, it's the it's the culture, it's it's nothing needs to change right now in my opinion, even though there's been some weak moments and you're seeing that uh, reflected right. I mean, with the players. This isn't, uh, to me, we're still a while away from like a Scott Brooks moment of, you know, when the, the Thunder loved him, but he was just very obviously getting outcoached uh, every playoff series. I just don't think we're there yet. And I want to, you know, I mean, a reminder, we finished as the two seed the last two years. This season is not done. Um, I'm slowly coming to grips with that. I don't think we're going to be the two seed this year, but uh but all that said is the season's not over, um, and he has for sure earned that benefit of the doubt. And honestly, and it might just be, you know, I mean, the one frustration has been him and Smart, uh, for whatever reason, he used to be, a, you know, an AT, like an after timeout wizard, Jenkins. And for whatever reason, he keeps putting the ball in uh, Smart's hands and Smart turning it over after timeouts. This has happened several times now. So hopefully the two of them can get on the right page there. Uh, but other than that, you know, I, I think uh, it was good. To, it was a, it was just a really, really positive, very encouraging Grizzlies week. Um, because when you have a, a loss like the Raptors, what you want to see is how are they going to respond to that, and uh, and and they and they they backed it up. You know, they made they said we're going to be fine, and they came out and they had you know what I would say is probably our two best wins of the year. Needs it over this week at the Mavericks on Tuesday at seven thirty p.m. Mavericks are playing well right now. They're uh, let's see, they're six and four in their last 10. They're right now the sixth seed in the West. We uh saw that they did have some injuries. Derek Lively's out, Dante Exum, who killed the Grizzlies last game, out. Uh, we'll yeah. see if they're playing on Tuesday. We'll know 
probably yeah, in twenty four li- hours. In particular, has been really, really good with Luca. Like they're they're like they're a duo that's like I think they're top three, four in the league and plus minus when the two of them are on the court together. And so I think you know he's a big. If they miss, you know, you wouldn't think that he's a rookie, a rookie center. Uh, but honestly, he just for whatever reason, him and Luca really, really gel well together. And so if they don't have lively, I think that'll be an advantage for us. The Luka Doncic Vince Williams matchup is one that we are very excited to see. Yes. Maybe throw smart on Kyrie, just see what happens. I'd love to see both of those guys start, obviously. Uh, Clippers on Friday, the hottest team in the league right now. They're eight and two in their last 10. Uh, they've moved Russell Westbrook to the bench a few weeks ago. And ever since then, I mean, the only time they've lost is when Kawhi has been out with injury. And this is a scary team. I'm glad we're getting them at home. Honestly, we've played the Clippers well. Yeah. Overall, in the West so. West contending tiers, like the Clippers are who I still feel the most comfortable playing. And then the Knicks, we have a back-to-back Saturday night. So Friday and Saturday night at FedEx Forum, all teams that are the six-seed or better, and it'll be a challenging week, but overall, I feel three teams that the Grizzlies tend to play well, and I am hoping for two and one. I will settle for one and two if it's competitive. Yeah, I, I think that's that's exactly where I am on that. I think with you know the, as, as you talked about the Clippers, I mean that was in that sort of four game losing streak. Uh, you know, when Jaw was either sitting out or had flu-like symptoms and it seemed like the whole half the, the team was kind of under the weather, that was by far the better game we played. And honestly, we had some moments at the end uh, to, to kind of win it or at least tie it up um, and just missed. We kind of just like did everything we didn't do. Like tonight, we like made all the big plays. And then I felt like that night we did not make all the big plays. Uh, but all that said is I do think, you know, this is again – if we're our normal home team selves, I would actually give us the edge in this game as a home team, but we just played so weird at home. But I would think with the Clippers coming in, having just lost them, we should come in with an edge. And then, uh, and then like I said, the Knicks, you know, it's been interesting. Uh, you know, we, we got, we got destroyed by Emmanuel quickly. Um, we, we usually get hurt by him a lot for whatever reason. Um, so they don't have him anymore because they have OG Ananobi, the guy that, that a lot of us have been wanting for the last couple of years. Uh, but for whatever reason, we tend to play the Knicks well. Uh, and honestly, the big issue for the Knicks with us has been Mitchell Robinson, uh, very much protecting the play. It feels like when he's on the court, Jaw uh, struggled to get to the rim. Well, they don't have Mitchell Robinson. He's out for the year. And so in that sense, I think they have a little less rim protection uh, than in the past, though obviously OG Ananobi is a very good uh, defensive player. But I think, you know, hopefully between Jaron, Bain, and Jaw, OG can't guard all three of them. So, so in that sense, the hope, the hope would be that, and that, that jaw might take this, all the Jalen Brunson talk, uh, similar to the way we came out against the Pacers with Tyrese Halliburton. So that's what I'm hoping to see against the Knicks, but you know, again, back to back, it's hard, hard to win back to backs. Uh, so we'll see, you know, this is kind of, this is the last little bit. And then I really, I think after this week, the schedule gets a little more favorable for us, uh, for a while. I mean, you know, it's the NBA. All the, every team is pretty good, except for maybe the Spurs and the Pistons. But um, but this is kind of like if we can get out of here with two and one, I like I'm actually am going to start feeling really good about us actually making this season uh, more relevant. So so big week. So I just got a tweet sent to me, and it was about Jaws injury, and 
Taylor Jenkins was asked if Morant could miss multiple games, and he ex- he said he expects the team will know more in the next two days. So, not like breaking news or anything, but it does sound like there are further tests being done. And so we will not know until probably game day of the Mavericks game whether or not he'll be able to go. But overall, that doesn't sound super optimistic for this upcoming game. But I don't like not, to... Spe- not- I don't like to speculate on these weekend updates because so much can happen by the yeah. time you're listening. If you're listening on Tuesday, like you're going to know, but we're sitting here Sunday night and it seems like we're not going to know for a minute. Yeah. For a team that likes to take day to days and make them week to weeks. Uh, I don't like hearing that, honestly. Yeah, for sure. All right. We end every podcast with our MVP of the week. This was finally a competitive, competitive landscape across a few guys, I thought. Um, John, where did you land for MVP of the week? So I, so, I mean, it's funny you say that. I know that there's no ties, no ties for us. And so I don't know if y'all go the other way than me. Um, and I feel bad because I think I let Jaron edge out Marcus smart last week and, and Marcus played such a great game. Um, you know, I believe, although I don't know after tonight, I don't think it was the case, but going into tonight, Marcus Smart was our best plus minus player. Obviously, he hit all those threes against the Lakers. Uh, but I have to go with Jaron. Um, I have to go with Jaron because he played well in every game this week. Uh, especially the efficiency was unbelievable. We're talking 10 to 15 shots, but scoring in the high 20s, low 30s. Uh, him playing amazing defense. I know just like Marcus, but I think Jaron being more consistent on that, but just honestly him co- overcoming the demons this week that, that were the Lakers and AD uh, him tonight, just, I mean, being an absolute monster. I mean, once again, a little frustrated that, that Jenkins didn't play him enough again, once again, ending the game without fouling out, uh, but sitting a lot of minutes because of foul trouble. Uh, but, uh, so I have to go with Jaron. I just think he he was just unbelievable tonight. He was unbelievable in the game. And he just, I mean, he, and he's hitting his three. He's attacking the rim. He's still, I mean, I think he is going, getting almost back to his defensive player of the year type mindset. Uh, and so despite as much, like coming into tonight, Marcus was on the leader. But I think after the game tonight, I'm, I got to give it to Jaron for the week. I agree. I do feel like this confirmed some priors for me of Jaron being the the push the team over the top type player because that's what he did. What his performances in the last two games were the impact that they had on the final result was huge. Bain to me is just the the core of everything in the middle. Like he's gonna be the one that's gonna pace this team throughout. And Jaron can struggle on offense and we can still manage but if Jaron is hitting shots efficiently we are going to be a super difficult team to beat and so that's why I'm giving my MVP as well to Jaron I don't have to feel as bad as you because I gave it to Marcus last week (laughs) in a down week because of his contributions to the Pelicans win but overall Jaron gets my vote for MVP of the week he stepped up against Anthony Davis which was all we asked him to do and he did that and more tonight uh just with shorthanded it would have been really easy to roll the ball out against the Suns without your best player and saw saw how the rest of the front, front court was playing and hang his head. He didn't do that despite being in foul trouble. Finished yeah. the game, did not let that affect his, his aggressiveness. Jaron, this is one of the best weeks of basketball I've ever seen him play. So MVP yeah. goes to him. 
for sure. I mean, I, and I think that's like it sums up today. Like, like you're saying, sat out most almost all of the third quarter because of foul trouble. We were down 11, and it was like he came in that fourth quarter, and it was like, this is my fault, guys. I got this, and we immediately went on a 10-0 run, and then it was a game. And I mean, it was just, uh, and that's the kind of stuff we just haven't seen from Jaron before. Um, I think, and this is what we've been wanting to see. Been waiting a while. He's still only 24, which is crazy. Uh, but, uh, but I mean, it, like you said, he is, I mean, he is the guy because I, I think you're right. I think we know who jaw is. I think we know who Bane is. Jaron is that over the top. I mean, that makes us a true contender. If he plays at this level, I really do think we can beat anybody in the league. So, well, this was a fun edition of the week to update. It had Way potential last week. It had potential after that Raptors game to be extremely sad. It could, it could have very well been a eulogy. For for this team, get this those, early, get those get those draft boards, throw the keep keep them keep in the drawers. Yeah, you know I'm I'm throwing mine away. Just don't even look at them. Don't worry about about those draft picks for next year. Don't don't just watch college football. I mean college basketball anymore. Like we're we still got an NBA season. Uh, we just beat the Suns and Lakers. It doesn't get any better than that. Listen, we're about to start talking about trading the 2024 pick rather than making a selection. So that's yes, that's yes. where this team is right now. And fun fun trade conversations to come. The the rumor mill is truly getting started. The OG trade I think was the first of a few dominoes. There's some teams around the league that are shopping wings. That's all I'm going to say. They are shopping some wings. We might be able to get in on the action. Uh, even if it's not for one of the big fish, we can get some some be opportunistic, as Zach Kleiman likes to say, and maybe get some medium-sized fish in the process. Well, this has been another edition of the Weekend Update. Thanks to Kraft. I'm Will. We will talk to you next week then. <laughs>